You're listening to Matt Walsh on demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's. I mean, it's not going to sell your home. I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Well, I'm going to break with tradition a little bit. It's not much of a tradition. It's only been established for a few weeks now. But um, in the past few weeks, I've done for the last podcast of the week kind of a mailbag thing where I go through and I answer some emails. But there is um, there's something that I, w- that I wanted to talk about that, that nobody emailed me about. And I tried to find one to cherry pick, but just nobody sent one. So I'm just going to launch into this. I, it's a conversation I wanted to expand to my podcast uh, audience. Um, I want to talk about social issues the dreaded social issues and and why they're they're not just important but the most important the most important the most crucial the most fundamental the most relevant i gave a talk on this subject last week uh to a bunch of young people a bunch of youths because the youths are our future you know they're the future i'm 30 now uh my time has passed i had my shot and i blew it so it's time to pass the baton. And, uh, and, and I know because I'm 30, I probably still qualify by modern standards as a youth myself, a young person. But I, I disagree. You know, I think 30 is the cutoff or you're not a young person anymore. Really, 18 should be the cutoff. But certainly, you're not a young person at 30. You're just a person. Not an old person, but just a person. And, and I figure I have a solid 8 to 12 years of being just a person that's all we get in life. We get eight to 12 years of just being a person. And then, and then I transition into a middle-aged person, then an old person, then an elderly person, and then a dead person. And that's if the last phase doesn't sort of butt in, butt in line and intrude a little earlier than expected, which, um, which, you know, well, you never know. You never know. It could happen. But I was talking to this conference about this uh, youth, Young America's Foundation conference about, they were all college-aged uh, young folks, whippersnappers about the fight for the culture and it was a conservative conference and so we all probably agreed on a number of issues but on cultural issues social issues as they're called that's where especially with the younger generations my generation you cannot at all count on finding a consensus we social conservatives are a small 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 group and growing smaller so i guess we should start with what makes a person, a social conservative. How do we define this uh, fringe radical group of extremist nutcases? What do social conservatives believe? Are you a social conservative? Well, I would say you're a social conservative if you believe that um, perhaps it shouldn't be legal to dismember babies and sell them for parts. It's a very radical thought. If you believe that, then you're a social conservative. Um, if I'm not going to go through everything, but... If you believe that uh, the most important institution in the family, in the country, is the family, and if you believe that the family should be protected, and that the institution of marriage should be protected, then you're a social conservative. Um, If you believe that the government cannot take the place of the family, you're a social conservative. If you believe that there's a crucial distinction to be made 
between the life-giving, family-forming bond between a man and a woman and that of two men or two women, then you're a social conservative. Speaking of men and women, if you believe that men are men and women are women and that uh, no surgery or, or hormone pill or wig or makeup will ever change a man into a woman, then you're a social conservative. If you believe in religious liberty, you're a social conservative. Um, if, if, if you believe that the destruction of a civilization is always precipitated first by a, a sort of moral decay, then you're probably a social conservative. If you believe that truth is objective, morality is objective, uh, then you're a social conservative. If you believe in the, in the creed upon which America was founded, the moral creed, and if you believe that the survival of America as it was founded depends on our adherence to that creed, then uh, you're a social conservative. If you believe these statements, really, if you believe any one of these statements individually, then you are, well, first of all, absolutely correct. And second, you're a social conservative. You're a sort of obscure variation of conservatism itself, you're a growth, a cancerous growth, as far as mainstream conservatives are, are concerned. And nothing you say or believe is essential to conservatism generally or to society. It's not even related. And that's why I, re- I, I, you know, I, that's why I hate the label. I, I'm using it, but I hate the label. You know, social issues, social conservatives, because it's used as a, as a way to separate, you know, these issues and the wackos who actually care about them from the rest of conservatism, from the rest of the conversation. And so other sort of more mainstream conservatives with their mainstream concerns and their mainstream issues, they can use it to to banish us from the adult table where the grownups are talking about important things like taxes and fiscal policy and whatever else and send us out, you know, not even to the, to the kids table, but out to the barn to converse with cows and horses. They, they didn't even want to hear from us. That's the way it goes. They don't want to hear from us. Social conservatives have been treated as lunatics by the left, outcasts by the right, for a long time. And, and this has certainly not changed in the current election season. It certainly will not change. All you had to do was, was turn on the Republican convention a few weeks ago to get a taste of how Republicans view social conservatives. I I didn't watch every speech myself, but the ones that I did watch almost uniformly ignored anything that may even vaguely smell like a social issue. The only time it really came up was on a few occasions when when a, a speaker got up there to lecture social conservatives for caring too much about these kinds of issues, like Peter Thiel to call the culture wars a distraction. That's the only time it came up. Other than that, it, w- it wasn't discussed by Republicans at all. And not just at the convention, but generally speaking. They don't talk about it. We don't talk about abortion. The word doesn't come up. We, we don't talk about, we certainly don't talk about gay marriage. We don't talk about these. We don't talk about transgenderism. We, we don't talk about any of these cultural issues, right? Now, it's interesting to contrast that. And we're talking about the way that conservatives deal with the social issues. Most mainstream conservatives. That is, they completely ignore it. They call it irrelevant. Let's not talk about it. Let's not fight these fights. It doesn't matter. So on and so forth. Now, how do liberals handle it? Well, I thought the Democrat convention was just a microcosm, just a microcosm of the, you know, of the overall situation. Really gave us a look into how Democrats and liberals handle social issues. Um, 
As for the social issues themselves, they did what they always do at the convention a few weeks ago. That is, they focused on them intently. They brought up gay rights, abortion rights, transgender rights, etc., constantly. Nearly every speaker found a way to wedge those issues into their remarks. That's not surprising. If you listen to a Democrat politician give a stump speech, someone running for office, give a stump speech, they're going to bring up all of these. They're going to talk about all these issues. They might, use, they might use some euphemism. If they talk about abortion rights, they might, they might say abortion or they might say women's rights, reproductive rights, whatever. But they talk about all these things all the time. Going back to the Democrat convention, um, they, you know, they had Cecil Richards, Planned Parenthood CEO, most prolific mass murderer in the world. They had her get up there, give a primetime speech. They had the president of NARAL, the National Abortion Rights Action League, get up there, give a primetime speech, actually bragged about her own abortion to the sound of thunderous applause. Now think about that. The Republican Party would not so much as mention the word abortion while the Democrats, on the other hand, put the head abortionist in the country on stage to give a, a sales pitch. This is what Democrats do. This is what liberals do. They talk about these things. And they talk about families. And they talk about marriage. They talk about sexuality, gender. They make moral arguments. And we should really pay attention to that. They make moral arguments. They make them unabashedly. They insist on their views, if you notice, not just because their views would make people richer or safer or whatever in their minds, but because their views are right, morally right. Look at Bernie Sanders. Became this phenomenon, this Democrat, this liberal phenomenon. Had his whole political revolution that really didn't go anywhere. But what was he arguing the whole time? I mean, he made some practical arguments and claimed that this or that policy would work and it would make, you know, it would get rid of this or that problem. But mainly he was making a moral argument. He was saying, this is just right. This is the right thing. It's not morally right for, for rich people to have a lot of money. It's not, it's not morally right. The morally right thing is that we share. He was making moral arguments and those arguments were resonating. Meanwhile, what do conservatives do? What do Republicans do? They're afraid of the word. They don't want to make those kinds of arguments. And they insist that, you know, people don't care about morality. They don't care about moral law. We've we got we to speak to their wallets. We've got to speak to their, you know, fears. People are, have fears. They want to be safe. They have, you know, they, they want money. This, this is what people want. We, we have to, our entire conversation has to center around that. We can't talk about morality. Nobody cares about morality. Meanwhile, that's all the liberals do is talk about morality. They don't know anything about morality. Their morality is perverted, upside down, backwards, inside out. But they talk about it. And they win because they're the only ones talking about it. And why is that? You have conservatives who tend to always pivot away from cultural issues, social issues, moral issues, while liberals always pivot back to it. Why is that? I think it's because liberals see something that many conservatives, aside from those pesky social conservatives, fail to see. They see that the so-called social issues get right down to the heart of the matter. They get right down to the heart of the culture. And they know that if you can win the heart, if you can win people's heart, forget about speaking to their wallet. 
Okay, it's, you're not going to win people with their wallets. You win them with their hearts. And if you can win their hearts, then you win the culture. And if you have the culture, then you have everything. Social issues deal with basic principles, basic priorities. And when we argue our side, we aren't just arguing about the issue itself, but we're arguing about the principles. And you have to argue the principles. So just to show you what I mean. Abortion. You know, I talk about abortion all the time. Why is that? Well, because it's the central battlefield in the culture war. There are a million human babies killed by abortion every year. 50 million babies killed in America since Roe v. Wade. 50 million babies killed every year across the world. That means in the last uh, 20 years or so, you've had 1 billion babies. 1 billion killed by abortion. So there is no greater physical threat to mankind than abortion, which to me, I mean, in 100 years, ISIS could not kill as many humans as the abortion industry kills in 12 months. In 1,000 years, they probably couldn't. How long would it take ISIS to slaughter a million people? Just a million. They, they couldn't kill that many in their wildest dreams. They take out, you know, they, they stage some mass... That terrible attack in in Nice, in France, they killed, what, 80 or 90 people? It's horrendous. It's horrendous. The abortion industry kills 10 times that in a day in one country. So that's the practical end of it. That's the practical end, that there is no greater threat uh, to safety. There is no greater threat to human life than abortion. But... The urgency of abortion stems not just from the fact that it kills so many lives. It also comes from the fact that cultural acceptance of abortion undermines the sanctity of life. So a country that legalizes abortion is a country that rejects the dignity of human life. Even terrorism can't do that. Going back to ISIS, ISIS terrorists, um, obviously they themselves reject the dignity of human life or at least of of uh, the, hum- the, the lives of, of the infidels. But through their terrorism, do they cause the rest of us to devalue life? Do we value life any less because of a terrorist attack? No, in fact, it's the exact opposite, isn't it? On the other hand, even outside of the massive staggering death toll, abortion threatens our civilization, destroys our civilization, because it causes people in our civilization to question and ultimately reject the basic and fundamental fact that human life is valuable. And that's why we should hammer on the point. That's why social conservatives do. Because if we can't agree that life is meaningful, if we can't get people to understand that human life means something, that it's worth something, then what does anything else matter? Any other issue? You know, your guns, your money, your safety, even the sovereignty, the very existence of the United States... What does any of that matter if life itself does not matter? All of those other things, they derive their importance and their value from human life. So in other words, guns are only important because human beings have a right to them and because human beings want them to protect themselves. Money is only important because human beings need money to buy things and to survive. This country is only important because it contains human beings. 
If there were no human beings left in the United States of America, the United States wouldn't matter anymore. It would be a place where you could see some nice, uh, some nice scenery. But it wouldn't be the United States. It wouldn't mean anything. It's just a plot. It's just dirt. That's all it is. So all of these things derive their importance from human life. If human life itself isn't important, then these other things cannot be important. Obviously, right? And that's why we, we, we have to engage on this. We have to. It doesn't make any sense if we don't. None of our other arguments make sense if we don't. Another example, gay marriage. Now, this is uh, uh, not a popular subject anymore, especially among my generation. Um, and, and I find that uh, when I talk about gay marriage, write about it, whatever it is, give a speech about it, or I mention it, uh, what I find is that, that even people who were, up, who, who were sort of with me up until that point agree with everything I say about everything. As soon as I get to gay marriage, they're like, whoa, okay. I'm getting off the train now. I can't follow you there. Can't follow you there. That's what it's become, that even conservatives will now just implicitly accept this position, you know, pro-gay marriage, that up until just a few years ago would have been considered radically left-wing. Remember, Barack Obama himself, the radical left-wing Marxist crazy guy, originally campaigned as a proponent of traditional marriage. Obviously, he didn't really mean it, But the point is that even Obama in 2008, only eight years ago, could not get elected president without paying lip service to traditional marriage. And now uh, and now the exact opposite is true. So why should we care about marriage? Well, it's simple. It's not bigotry. It's got nothing to do with bigotry. Uh, The fact is this human civilization rests upon the family. The family is the nucleus of civilization. And without it, there can be no civilization. In order for civilization to exist, to survive, to thrive, it's necessary that men and women get together, have kids, and then they stay together and they raise those kids. Okay? And only that relationship between man and woman has the potential in principle to produce life. Yeah, there are diseases, there are defects that can prevent it from happening. Um, At a certain point, obviously, you get too old and you can't have kids anymore. But a man and a woman, that relationship in principle can produce life. It's the only relationship that can. One man, one woman. That's it. Not two women, not two men, not a woman by herself, not a woman and a llama, not a woman with two men. Obviously, a woman with two men can produce two different babies at two separate times. But every baby is the work of one man and one woman. This is the gift that God has bestowed on the man-woman relationship. And it's a great power and also a great responsibility, to paraphrase Spider-Man. There are many things that come with it. But whatever else you say about this extraordinary feature of the man-woman relationship, that is the feature that allows the relationship to literally create an entire other person, that feature does set it apart and make it different from these other relationships. And not only does it make it different, but it makes it more important and more crucial to society in the sense that society cannot exist without it. And so that's why societies up until recently recognized this relationship as not only different, because it is fundamentally, but, but as something more important, something that needed to be protected. Whereas your relationship with your roommate 
doesn't need to be protected by the state because the, the existence of civilization does not depend on you having a cozy relationship with your roommate or with your dog or even with your brother. Okay? So that's why. And when we talk about gay marriage, what we're really talking about is the fundamental importance of the nuclear family and how all of civilization rests upon and, in fact, is born from the man-woman relationship, the relationship to which we used to afford and award the special and unique title of marriage. I don't know how we can move on and make other arguments if we cannot agree that the human family is an important and distinct institution that should be protected. So that's why social conservatives argue about it. Uh, Transgenderism, I've talked about that plenty. How we're not just talking about bathrooms, we're not just talking about safety, the safety of women in bathrooms, that's part of it, but that's not the most important part of it. We're talking about, the, the, again, the fundamental distinction between men and women and how men are men and women are women, and that's why we argue it. That's why the issue is important, because we cannot give up on this distinction, on this objective truth, this objective reality that men are men and women are women. That's not a small, irrelevant, silly little issue, okay? It's a, it is a central, it, you cannot exist as a society unless we can all agree that men are men and women are women. So the social issues are issues that, that you know, if, if, if we cannot get people to understand our point, if people reject the truth on these issues, then everything breaks down, and that's what we're seeing, and that's why they're important. Liberals know this. Liberals know this. And so they argue incessantly and loudly and proudly for abortion, gay rights, transgenderism, etc. Not because they all have some great personal passion for these issues particularly, but because they know what they get, what they win if their side wins. They know what's at stake. They know that they're rewarded with a culture where literally everything is relative. Truth is whatever they say it is. God does not exist. Their whims, their passions, their emotions, their desires reign supreme. That's the goal of leftism, to make men into gods. That's what they're fighting to achieve. And if you're not fighting against them on that battlefield, if you're not trying to prevent them from achieving that goal, then you're not fighting against them at all. You're on their side. If you let them win, if we let them win, if we say, okay, sure, you can be God, reality is whatever you say it is, morality is a myth, God is dead, men can be women, women can be men, trees can be dogs, babies aren't people, marriage is nothing but an irrelevant social construct, sure, you can have all that, but damn it, don't raise my taxes. If you say that, you cannot then claim to oppose leftism because you don't. You've basically joined them. You've given them everything they want. You, you've traded in your soul for a better tax rate. And what's the point of that? Socially moderate fiscal conservatism is just liberalism with a better accountant. That's all it is. Social conservatism is conservatism. It's the only thing that significantly separates it from leftism. And it's no coincidence then that the socially moderate but fiscally conservative types have become progressively more progressive even in their fiscal conservatism. Have you noticed that? Because fiscal issues, security issues, are not enough to ground a person or a movement. A movement. And once again, liberals know this. Conservatives are the only ones that don't. And libertarians, I guess. A movement must speak 
to society on every level. And at the top sort of outer layer, we must have security and safety. You know, we, we do. We, we want to be protected. We need uh, to protect ourselves so that we can continue to exist, to live, to pursue what's most important in life. Conservatives have a tendency to hang out on that level only, and they argue about everything on those terms. But there's a level deeper. Deeper, more foundational, there's the desire for liberty. Liberty, you know, we want to be safe and protected from external threats. But even more importantly, we need the freedom to live our lives, to pursue the purpose for which we were made. And a lot of conservatives, they don't even get down to this part. They don't talk about liberty, especially now. Nobody's talking about liberty anymore. We just talk about the safety and the security. But liberty is more important. And it's so important that we should be willing to sacrifice everything on the top level, the safety and security, for the sake of what lies underneath it, liberty. But even liberty, freedom, is not the most important thing in life. It's more important than safety, yeah, but it's not the most important. It's not the deepest, okay? I said that freedom is important, is necessary, because it allows us to pursue the purpose for which we were made. So what does that mean? It means that we have to know that purpose. We need to have a purpose. We need some idea about where exactly we're going and why. Yeah, we need the freedom to get there. But what good is the freedom if we don't know what to do with it or where to go with it? We shouldn't sacrifice freedom for safety, but here at this level, the most foundational level of all, we shouldn't sacrifice, free, uh, we shouldn't sacrifice even this for freedom. So if someone comes to us and says, give me your freedom and I'll make you safe, we should say no, although most Americans will say yes and have said yes. But if they come to us and say, give up your fundamental convictions about life, give up your faith, or I'll take away your freedom, then what should we say? Take it. Take it. I'd rather go to prison and have no freedom, but maintain my beliefs than be free at the expense of my beliefs. This here is the deepest, most essential level, more essential than freedom because it directs the freedom. It tells us what to do with the freedom. You know, I've mentioned that I'm reading the book uh, Brothers Karamazov by uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky. And I also said that I'm going to find a way to, because I love the book so much and there's just so much wisdom in it, I'm going to find a way to pigeonhole it or uh, to, uh, to, to you know, wrangle it into every conversation we have. And so on the, on the topic of freedom, and you talk about freedom without understanding what your purpose is in life and what that leads to, here's, um, here's a, just a, a quick excerpt from uh, Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky. He says, The world has proclaimed the reign of freedom, especially of late. But what do we see in this freedom of theirs? Nothing but slavery and self-destruction. For the world says, you have desires and so satisfy them. For you have the same rights as the most rich and powerful. Don't be afraid of satisfying them and even multiply your desires. That's the modern doctrine of the world. In that, they see freedom. And what follows from this right of multiplication of desires? In the rich, isolation and spiritual suicide. In the poor, envy and murder. For they've been given the rights, but they have, been not, but they have not been shown the means of satisfying their wants. 
They maintain that the world is getting more and more united, more and more bound together in brotherly community as it overcomes distance and sets thoughts flying through the air. Alas, put no faith in such a bond of union, interpreting freedom as the multiplication and rapid satisfaction of desires. Doing this, men distort their own nature, for many senseless and foolish desires and habits and ridiculous fancies are fostered in them. This is what we're talking about. Freedom is important, even more than freedom. We have to know the point and purpose of life. And that's what the social issues speak, speak to. That's what we're arguing about. Right down here at the very heart of everything, at the foundation of everything, there exists these so-called social issues, these cultural issues. And that's why we have to fight the battle on this level. We can fight it on the other ones as well. But we have to start here. If we give up here, as so many conservatives have, and as more and more uh, do or decide to do, as is becoming the, the fashionable thing, more and more people say, well, this stuff doesn't matter. Let's move up to the mantle, to the crust, to the shallowest level. Let's, let's argue and battle up there. But you'll notice that the liberals are down here. They're arguing everything down on this level. And they're winning because nobody is opposing them. And so we need to oppose them. Otherwise, there's no point. All right. That's it for me now. Um, I'll, uh, I'll talk to you guys next week. Have a great weekend. Acruce salus. Godspeed.